Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Monday Check-In. My name is Damon Jensen-Heitman. I am one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Pres in Hastings, Nebraska. Excited to be here with you on this Monday morning, Damon. Yeah, Monday in mid-September. Is that a Paul Simon song? If it isn't, it should be. Yeah, he really missed it. Missed an opportunity. Doesn't ask me that sounds like Monday in mid-September. I was going to say, it's probably not too late. You could, you know, you've got contacts mm-hmm. in the music world. You could yeah, reach out to him right now and suggest to him that he might want to consider that as a song title. I've got a list of five perfect Paul Simon song titles. I think you've got a spouse who's a really good songwriter. She could probably even write some of the lyrics and, and at least a, a tune for them. Yeah, it could work. Maybe people, maybe people listening will have suggestions, thoughts, uh, interpretations of or potential Paul Simon songs that they could suggest to us. Starting with Monday in mid-September. Yeah. Yeah. Be good. Um, here's here's my recommendation though. My wife Jessica uh, refers to her favorite weather, which is late fall weather, and she calls it soup and sweater weather. Mm-hmm. And so, if we could incorporate the term soup and sweater weather into the lyrics of the Paul Simon song Monday in mid September, um, I would I would very much appreciate that. Mm. See now, soup and sweater weather. That sounds to me more like a Waylon Jennings kind of a kind of a song. Well, no, I, it could be a lyric of Monday in mid-September, or it could be a, a standalone song sung by the Waylon Jennings. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. If people are ever curious, what does Damon do with his free time? Uh, this is pretty much it. <laughs> I have thoughts that don't really make sense to anybody other than myself. And, uh, you know, away I go. Thanks to the modern water technology, uh, we're at now able to record those thoughts and save them for posterity's sake, perhaps for the rest of time. We don't know how long these Monday check-ins are going to be out there and available to the world. I mean, indefinitely yeah. at this point. Yeah, until the Martians come. I was going to say until Christ comes again, but yeah, well. <laughs> we can go with the Martians too. <laughs> So the Monday check-in, for those who don't know, is uh, Greg and I, we have a little chat. We do a little preview of the scriptures for the upcoming Sunday, talk a little bit about some of the themes that we see them in them, what might show up on Sunday morning in a service, and then we switch gears and we talk a little bit about life of the church. So, uh, and I think it's your turn, Greg, to do the opening prayer. All right, let's do it. All right. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we have spent a few weeks focusing on the good life. We know that you desire for us to have a good life, but you also call us to live a good life. And so as we continue to explore this theme of the good life, God, we ask that you bless us with wisdom to help understand what it is it means to live a good life. Bless us with energy to go out and live that good life and courage to do so even in the face of challenges and adversity. 
This morning, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your holy word and the call that it places on our lives to live the good life. And in these ancient stories, Lord, we find truth that is still relevant for us today. And so let us study that and may it change our lives for the better. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for this upcoming Sunday, we continue this um, um, living the good life uh, sermon series. And what does that, what does that mean? And uh, we've talked about uh, wisdom uh, for the good life. We've talked about uh, uh, gentleness born of wisdom and, and how living in that way is this sort of is a reflection and expression of the good life. And now this Sunday we have uh, a story from, uh, I don't know, maybe a lesser known book of the Bible, but uh, maybe shouldn't be a lesser known book of the Bible. It's Esther uh, is, is the book. And we have some, some selected scriptures, some passages, right? Uh, but we're going to need a little context for this. Greg, what, what do we need? What's what's happening in the book of Esther up to this point? Well, I'll back up just a second. So um, Damon and I, during the school year, typically we do it. Uh, most of our scripture selection is based on what's called the lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of reading the Bible that we use as a church that most Protestant churches use and most Roman Catholic churches use. And so um, each week, the lectionary presents us typically with an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a gospel reading and an epistle and uh the book of esther in the old testament only occurs twice across the entire three-year cycle of the lectionary so this is one of the times that we get a chance to read if if we're following the lectionary that now damon and i are not required to follow the lectionary but we find ourselves doing it more often than not for a variety of reasons and so here we are with uh, the second time in a three-year cycle that esther shows up and uh would find it helpful to provide a little bit of background. So uh, we have this uh, king in Persia uh, named Xerxes. And uh, he, there are some Jewish people living in that same area uh, as exiles. They were brought there, their families were brought there uh, following a war. Um, and now they are there, they've been there for multiple generations. And they generally live peaceably amongst the folks who are there. Um, and there's one particular uh, Jewish girl named Esther. And uh, the king decides he needs a new queen and holds, uh, if, if we can call it a beauty pageant, uh, invites potential queen uh, uh, candidates to come and interview with him, <laughs> if sure. you will. Yeah. Uh, and through this process, uh, selects Esther as his queen. So now we have a, a Jewish girl who is uh, there living in Persia in exile, uh, who has ascended to become the queen uh, of King Xerxes. And she's, like, uh, she's one of the queens. One, yeah, right. But, but right. she has found particular favor. Correct. And, and her, her being appointed, uh, we read in the very beginning of Esther, comes from him getting rid of one of his other queens who did not make him happy. Yeah, um, yeah. The king is not a, uh, 
he's not uh, he's not one to avoid um, doing mean things. Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. So Esther has an uncle named uh, Mordecai, and uh, Mordecai also works in the king's court. He's got uh, occasionally. Uh, he's not really high up in the court, but he at least has access to the king's court. Um, and so Mordecai is the one who lets Esther know about this contest to become the queen and, and gets her in there and all that stuff. So then uh, the king has uh, his right-hand man who's named Haman, who really, really doesn't like the Jews. And uh, nobody knows that necessarily that Esther is Jewish. Uh, and Haman devises a plan to kill all of the Jews. Uh, and uh, he's pretty excited about this plan. And he sort of tricks the king into signing off on the plan. And word of this plan makes its way to the Jewish communities, including to Esther's uncle Mordecai. And uh, then Mordecai carries this news to Esther in the queen's court. Um, and so we, we get the, the famous interaction between Mordecai and Esther, where Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to do this. You, you've got to go into the king's court and save your people. Uh, you have been appointed for such a time as this, or perhaps you've been appointed for such a time as this. Um, and Esther's scared. This king is sort of tyrannical, and you're not allowed to come into the king's inner court without his permission. If you do, the sentence is surely death, uh, unless the king uh, invites you in. And the king, we read right before this, hasn't invited Esther into the court for 30 days. Uh, but then she convinced, she, she, she summons up her courage and bravely steps into the king's court. He welcomes her and she describes, uh, or she, she invites him and Haman to a feast. Actually does it twice. Uh, first feast is just, I don't know. Prelude. Prelude. Uh, second feast is where she confronts uh, the king about this plan to kill all the Jewish people and and that's where we pick up I think right uh, yeah I think so so mm -hmm. here we go uh, do, do you want to read it then yeah no that's fine all right, so, so the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther on the second day as they were drinking wine the king said to Esther what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. It's kind of a clever little thing there. Uh, then King Ahasuerus said to Queen, said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And we skip a couple of verses. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance to the king, said, look, the very gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. 
Then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar, and also the 15th day of the same month year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. There ends that reading. So, Queen Esther saved her people by having the courage to approach the king. Um, Haman, who had plotted the plan to destroy, uh, to annihilate her people, uh, has been dispatched. <laughs> yeah. um, and Mordecai records these events, which, which actually led to uh, the celebration of Purim, which is a famous uh, Jewish festival or holiday celebrated every year. Um, and so that's part of uh, Jewish religious observance and tradition, uh, what is described there in chapter nine. So Greg, what do you got? Um, well, thinking about this, this theme that we're building on of, of the good life, um, last two weeks ago, we talked about the wisdom that leads to the good life. Last week, we talked about um, the, the, some of these fruits, the gentleness born of the spirit, the peace and the willingness to yield are as sort of marks of the good life. Uh, what I like here is uh, this idea that um, critical to living a good life is, is, is having a good cause, having a cause that you believe in, something that you're willing to, to sacrifice for. Um, and in Esther's case, she, she was willing to potentially sacrifice her own life to go into the court of the king to make this petition to him to not kill her people. And so um, this idea of, of having a cause that is worth, worth fighting for is, is something that allows us to live the good life. That's, that's the direction I think I'm headed with this, Damon. How does that resonate with you? Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is that um, to some extent, Esther kind of stumbles into this right I, she 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 in some respect like she just kind of happens to be there uh when this is happening right but she's she's in that place she's at that time right um and this is the the issue of the day right this is the the cause of the day right and I think that there's something in the story about you live where you live when you live, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes we go out uh, searching and, and we find a, a particular cause or a particular something that we are, that are passionate about and we go out and, and can do that thing. And other times those things just kind of stumble into our lives, right? And, and, and for no other reason than, it, than we were there, we're the ones who have to respond in some way or have to deal with it. And so, and it could be, it could be anything. It could, that could be some big sort of cultural sort of a thing, but it could be something, you know, 
someone in your family is struggling with something or your neighbor needs help in some way or, you know, whatever the case. And you were just, you were the person who was there. And so, so you're the one that's got to go get the paper towels or, you know, whatever the case might be like that sort of sense of, um, being open to those sorts of things or being aware of those sorts of things. Um, I, I think a phrase that you use a lot is that um, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called or, or something to that effect. Um, yeah. That these sorts of things are gonna pop up all the time and in all kinds of places. And uh, and you're there, so so you do it. <laughs> it reminds me kind of of um, well, Jesus and the disciples, right? Oh, and the like. There's like a crowd there, and 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 the disciples said, "Jesus, these people are getting kind of hungry. Maybe you should let them go home so they can eat." And Jesus says, "You feed them. <laughs> you're here. You do it." Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps you were called for such a time as this, whether, whether it's something as large as feeding the multitudes or saving the Jewish people or something as simple as uh, offering a empathetic ear and a shoulder to cry on or whatever that looks like. Um, but we recognize that, that calling as part of what it means to live the good life and, and choosing to follow that calling when it presents itself to us in a particular time in a particular place. I like that idea, Damon, of you, of you grounding that in the particularity and also the, the notion that it doesn't need to be something as big as saving an entire race of people. No. Um, sometimes it's something as simple as, as buying someone a meal who's having a rough day or, um, you know. Yeah, like, like we're going to come across um, people in need and situations of need, right, all the time, right? I mean, so, I mean, so if you get a chance to save an entire people, yeah, you should probably do that. Um, but just this, this willingness to be exposed, I suppose, or I think we spend a lot of time insulating ourselves from things, mm -hmm. uh, insulating ourselves from others, from the world around us, right? Um, and this, this, the, I think there's a willingness in this story and a willingness in what we imagine the good life to be, to be exposed to things uh, so, that, so that you can respond in, in ways large and small to, to situations of need around you. Yeah, yeah. That made me uh, think of a, a quote that I often see floating around the internet um, attributed to Margaret Mead, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And we don't know what small act of, of kindness, uh, of compassion, of love uh, may potentially change the world. And so we're called to be constantly on the lookout for opportunities uh, to find these things to do and to live the good life in that sense and, uh, and then to act on them, to have the, the courage to act on them or overcome the fear or uh, the energy or, or whatever it takes to, to do that because that, that is what will 
change the world, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, in a big way or a small way. Yeah. Um, now, now this is, if you're going to, if you're going to follow kind of Esther's narrative arc, and there are other narrative arcs in this story, right? Uh, starting with her uncle, right? Mordecai, who, who calls Esther to task to a certain extent, or reminds Esther of her obligations and her, of her responsibilities. And, you know, so there's a role for people in that, in the world as well, um, to be those voices who are calling, you know, holding people accountable and saying, like, you can respond to this. Uh, and so you should. I think the king has a, a sort of a change of heart, kind of, <laughs> in the story. Uh, Haman, uh, you don't want to be Haman in the <laughs> in the story. I think it's interesting in um, so in verse four, right, when Esther is kind of making her case to the king. Um, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. And then she does like this clever little sort of what's going to, what line of argument is going to sway the king's thinking on this, right? Uh, but no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king, right? That, that if this group of folks is destroyed, then you're going to, you're going to lose their work in the kingdom you're going to lose their economic benefit you're going to lose their cultural benefit you're going to lose there is damage to more than just them well and you're going to lose me yeah right yeah. because one of the boldest things that esther does and it's not quite in or maybe it is in this one i mean she she is she's proclaiming her her jewish identity her other identity right if i've won your favor and if it pleases the king let my life be given me that is my petition and the lives of my people that is my request and so perhaps for mm -hmm. the first time she is acknowledging her yeah. jewish identity to this king um and and then saying if if you let this edict go forward it's going to destroy my people and me. And, and then, yeah, there's a, there's a cleverness there who you, you can't be compensated for this damage. Like you wouldn't want that to happen to your kingdom and to your, your, your queen. Mm -hmm. um, and it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's something, I guess, I suppose in this also about um, the difference that actually knowing someone makes right mm, that yes um, yes the, that the king actually knows he may not know any other jewish folks right this king right? uh and and now he and now he knows esther right and, and what a difference that makes him and what a difference it makes to get to know people who we maybe think that we disagree with or we maybe we think that we don't have anything in common with um mm -hmm. So there's something of that perhaps in there as well 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Damon, because she she has up to this point disguised her Jewish identity from the king. So she ascended to the level of queen without ever disclosing her her Jewish identity. And now here she is she has done that. Um, and because there's a personal relationship there between her and the king at this point, um, he the Jewish identity is it is not in any way um, something that keeps him from being able to see her value you know yeah and i i think she's i need to go back and read the first six seven chapters of the book but but i think that she that that part of her identity remains hidden not because she is ashamed of it or not because she's embarrassed about it but because it's actually safer for her to to not reveal that right yeah now if I'm not mistaken, a bit earlier in this book too, Mordecai does something that does save the life of the king. Um, and that's part of Haman's ire towards the Jewish people and towards Mordecai is that Mordecai earns the favor of the king by saving his life. Mm. Um, and so that's why Haman turns on him. And and then on all of the Jewish people, Haman, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And then the, the, the closing part that, that I think is worth noting, and I don't know if this will make its way into the sermon or not, but uh, when talking about the creation of Purim and, and how the Jewish people will celebrate this, um, you know, they talk about, and as the month had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. And so even within this, the midst of the celebration of their salvation, of their not being killed by, um, by Haman and, and by the king, um, part of their celebration is to take care of the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's, yeah, some of my experiences in, in Latin America, I've been to um, the birthday parties where the, the person who's who, who's celebrating their birthday gives gifts to the people who come to their birthday party, which is sort of the opposite of our tradition here in the United States, where you bring a gift to somebody to celebrate their birthday. But what it was explained to me, at least in the context that I was in, um, and I think this was in Ecuador, was that I'm celebrating that God has given me another year. And in that celebration, I'm going to be generous to my friends and give them <laughs> gifts. And I, I don't know, to be honest with you, if that was like a culturally Ecuadorian tradition or that was this individual's tradition, but that's the one place I experienced that. I mean, we do that a little bit with like party favors at kids' parties and stuff, right? But the, the, the notion that this person had invited seven of their best friends to a dinner to celebrate her birthday and then had bought an individual gift for each of those seven friends that was meaningful, not just a party favor, but an actual thoughtful gift. Um, and, and you see that same thing here in the establishment of Purim that uh, one, one way that they'll celebrate is by also blessing others in their yeah. celebration. I have survived, my people are still alive, therefore I will seek to bless others um, instead of just, you know. Yeah, yeah, let us also seek, seek to tend to the survival of others. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I'm... This, this passage doesn't get the opportunity often, but do you think it'll preach? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I also know that I'm going to have a very delighted 11-year-old 
uh, <laughs> because she's going to hear her name from the pulpit multiple times on Sunday, even though I'm referring to the biblical Esther and not my daughter Esther. But she loves it when I talk about uh, Esther in sermons, whether it's her or the biblical story of Esther. So <laughs> just, just any old Esther, just throw it in. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what else is what else is going on at First Press? Man, lots of great stuff. Uh, so this coming Sunday, which is uh, September 26th, uh, our 8:30 a.m. service, which we've been celebrating in the park, we're going to do that again this Sunday. Except that this one is special because this is our blessing of the pets service. So if you're listening and you have a pet that needs a blessing, uh, or you want to just come down and see a lot of really cute furry creatures and their families. Uh, join us for our 8.30 a.m. service. If you have a pet who you think won't be well-behaved in a context like a worship service in a park, then we encourage you to bring a picture of that pet. And I will also say a blessing over pictures of pets in addition to the pets themselves. And we'll, we'll still even give you the little dog tag that says, I was blessed at First Presbyterian Church. Um, so that's our 8.30 service. Uh, of course, we're back into the full swing of things for Sunday school. So at 9.15 Sunday school hour, we've got Sunday school for pre-K all the way through to adults, some really great offerings. Tell us about what's going on with, uh, with adult ed offerings on Sunday morning. Well, Heirs of Parent is meeting um, both in person and via Zoom online. Heirs of Parent is a fellowship and conversation group um, for adults, and they take a look at kind of some contemporary issues, a, a similar kind of along the lines of the sermon series, right? What does it, what does it mean to live? The, the life of faith. So folks can hop in on that. And our scholar in residence, Dan Deffenbaugh, is currently in the midst of a series taking a look at wisdom literature, uh, which is a, a subgenre of literature within the biblical canon. And so talking about what are some of the characteristics of wisdom literature, where do we see examples in, in the narrative, in the biblical narrative, um, what's the context out of which these things arise? And that is during the Sunday school hour, 9.15, in the Lydia room uh, or via Zoom as well. And those sessions are, are being recorded and we're posting those um, to YouTube. So folks can, can go back and take a look if they want. Um, and folks should, you can hop in anytime. So if you missed the first couple of classes, but you're still interested, um, please come this Sunday. He's got two Sundays left for that series. So, And we also have coming up a, a book club uh, that we're going to do. Folks may remember last summer, uh, we read a book by Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. Uh, this, this fall, we're reading this book called Home. Uh, it's a novel by Marilyn Robinson. And uh, we have uh, some of our literature experts in the congregation are going to read through it uh, with me, and we'll have some conversations. We'll record those, put those on YouTube. And we also have some, we have three sort of open conversation sessions that we're planning to hold via Zoom. Uh, we have those scheduled uh, for starting later in September, I think not this week, but next week is the first of those. The first of our pre-recorded chats um, should go live this week, I, I believe. So um, we do have a few copies of the book remaining in the office. If somebody wants to stop by and pick one up, they 
are welcome to do that to join in the join in the conversation related to that. So, and uh, my mom's going to join the book group from Colorado. So, uh, if you want to hang out with my mom as well as some other really interesting folks, <laughs> we invite you to do that. I I was talking with her yesterday, and she was talking about wanting to do a little bit more study and reading. And I said, well, there's this book group, and I said Damon's mom joined us for the one last summer. So yeah. you'd, you'd be welcome to join us this summer, mom, <laughs> or this for this fall. So yeah, I don't know if, if my mom is going to join in for this one. I, I know that she's, so she did join last year. So there's like four books in this kind of series or universe. Oh, was it four? I thought it was three. Mm-hmm. And so I know my mom read, we read the one last summer and then like she went out and she bought all the other ones. And, I mean, she's read them all. So I bet yeah. she, well, she should join us. Yeah, maybe she will. Who's, who's to say? Should we, should we she reach out to Mrs. Heitman and invite her? Uh, I'm sure that she's well in the loop on everything. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, some other things going on in the life of our church. We are going to hold a new members class uh, in October. Uh, we're going to run it for three Wednesdays, three consecutive Wednesdays, starting on Wednesday, October 13th. The class will begin at 5.15 p.m. and run for an hour. Normally, we would serve uh, our new members dinner. Uh, because of COVID uh, concerns, we're not going to do that. But uh, we hope you all can join us. If you have been interested in joining a church, come talk with us about what this might look like. If you know someone who might be interested, please share this information with them. We'll be putting a flyer in the bulletin and in the homepage and uh, keep uh, keep your eyes out for that. Um, also, speaking of the homepage, that's our newsletter that goes out every other week, and the homepage will go out tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, for those of you who either receive it by uh, postal mail or receive it by email, I would encourage you to open that this week. Uh, my the, the opening article in there talks a little bit about how we're utilizing our Christian education wing, um, talks about uh, what happened with the transition with Pooh Corner, uh, how we have now uh, done a little refresh on the second floor Christian Ed Wing, and we're using that for our, our pre-K through fifth grade Sunday school classes, as well as some music ministries. And then also talks about a new ministry partnership that's starting, uh, what, which we're calling the, the Hastings Community Music Academy. Uh, and so do, if you get a chance, pick up that newsletter, uh, read that article, and any questions you have, feel free to, to come to me and chat with me or Damon or any of your members of session or trustees, they've been sort of with us each step of the way in these, these transitions and sort of reimagining of our Christian education wing space. So that's some exciting stuff going on as well. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Uh, I think that's it. I think that covers it. Okay, time for a prayer. All right. Loving, well, angry, Scott, thank you for your word and the varied ways in which and through which it reaches our hearts. Thank you for your word in scripture, your word embodied in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Thank you for your word that comes to us in songs and prayers and anything else, and sometimes simply in fellowship with one another. Thank you, O oh God, for all of the ways that we learn what it is, what it means to live the good life, the life that you call us to. Help us, oh God, to always be attentive and alert to the opportunities that we see before us to live into your word. 
In your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. With all those things then said and done, until next time, toodaloo.